1: Podcast episodes and other content produced by Chat with Traders are for informational or educational purposes only and do not constitute trading or investment recommendations or advice.
2: You know, I've got some traders who are, they're basically on a leaderboard on that floor and they're chasing each other all day. So they're just, they're burning their brain. They're just burning all of their energy. And then when the clock strikes 4 PM, they leave and then they're immediately at the pub drinking because of the amount of stress. That they're incurring. Your brain is either in two modes it is in survival mode or it's in thrive mode. It's either one or the other.
0: Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast.
1: Welcome to Chat with Traders. I'm Tessa, co host of the show, and you're listening to episode 256. That awesome Aussie accent you just heard in the preview belongs to Louisa Nicola, our guest today. And we get to hear much more from her shortly. But first, I want to take this opportunity to pause for a minute and thank you for tuning into the show. If you're new to the show, welcome. Because of your listenership, we're able to keep this show going with fresh new episodes about twice a month. Sometimes we're able to squeeze in a third episode. So when was the last time We had an episode that is dedicated to talking about you. Yes, you, namely your brain, your body, your well being, all this working together. So, we're gonna take a break from the amazing trading topics that we usually have and instead focus on something that is as equally important, if not more. When it comes to trading, we often focus on that end goal of achieving results and becoming successful, which may mean something different to everyone. And we would put in the hours, blood, sweat, and tears to do whatever it takes to get there. But ironically, we often put ourselves last when it comes to nurturing ourselves, our brains, our bodies, our well-being. And amazingly, some of us can get away with this in the short term. But would we be healthy enough to make trading sustainable long-term? Or do we wait and see and then it might be too late. Let's reflect on that for a moment. So today, Ian speaks with Louisa Nicola. After an accident that ended her career as a professional triathlete, Louisa continued to live her passion, but in a different way. She became a neurophysiologist and human performance coach in order to understand and share with others what improves and degrades the brain's short-term performance and long-term viability. She's the founder of NeuroAthletics. I've dropped off more information on her bio in the show notes. Hopefully, what we will listen to today will stick and get us to think differently and put things in perspective in regards to trading and everything else non-trading related that is super important but often takes a back seat. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, We're so pleased to present Louisa Nicola, all the way from Sydney, Australia.
0: Well, hello, Louisa. Welcome to uh, Chat with Traders.
2: Hi, Ian. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, Whereabouts are you from? You sound uh, Australian?
2: (laughs) Yes. So I, I live in New York City, but I am Australian from Sydney and you've caught me uh, back in Sydney. So it's currently 8 a.m.
0: Oh, great. Great. Yeah. Um, well, Louisa, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background. Um, I understand you used to be an athlete.
2: <laughs> I did. I have a, a, a quite an interesting background. So I was an elite triathlete. I raced for Australia. And that's, you know, whenever somebody says, like, where did you get this thirst for high performance and human performance? I always refer back to that because a triathlete has to be amazing at three sports, swim, bike, run. So I was an athlete um, racing for Australia. And then I inevitably went to university and studied exercise science, um, physiology. And then further on, I went into medicine, which is where I learned everything that I know today.
0: Hmm. So was there a certain trigger that got you into the field of uh, advising clients?
2: Yeah so when i was you know when you go and study medicine you obviously choose a a path to go down like a specialty and i fell in love with the brain and i started to understand more about the brain you know i was working in a hospital setting and you know you start to understand not just pathology you know what causes brain diseases for example but you you learn how the brain functions and it's interesting because that area Of research is only was only reserved for people who were going into hospital. And I started to learn, and this was about 10 years ago now, I started to learn that, well, every single person has a brain. And what does it mean for a brain to perform well? And so these are the questions I was asking my advisor back, you know, back when I was studying and back when I was working in the hospital setting. And It wasn't until I saw this piece of equipment. So I started using an EEG, which is an electroencephalogram. So that's my main modality of of what I was doing. And basically what this is, is it's this cap that you put on your head and it has all these leads coming out of it. And it assesses the functionality of the brain. So I was seeing people back then who were coming in with You know, dysfunctions. They were either they had epilepsy or maybe they had early onset Alzheimer's disease. And so when I was looking at these reports, I thought, well, if it's coming up with areas of dysfunction, what if we put it on a brain that's, you know, that doesn't have any disease states? You know, someone who hasn't had epilepsy or someone who's not uh, has early onset Alzheimer's disease. And I thought, well, imagine what we could do with that report. We could make somebody essentially. Better and if we make someone have a better performing brain, that means that maybe they could be more successful. Maybe they could be a better athlete. Maybe they could make more money because their brain would be performing better. So that's how I I started e and I thought, well, let's put this EEG cap on an athlete. So that's what I did. I I fled um, Sydney and I went to New York City, and that's where I started my company, Neuroathletics, and I started working with NFL players inevitably because they're the ones that had, um, you know, concussions at the time. And then I started working with NBA players and I had this one NBA player who, when he came and saw me, we put the cap on him and I assessed his visual acuity. So I I was able to assess how well his eyes were performing. And then I was able to understand how well his brain was performing. And I got him to perform better, just by training his brain, by putting him on these protocols to enhance his brain function. And he was able to perform better on the court. So then I ended up taking this into the financial services space and this is why you and I are talking. I'm going to share a lot of the things I was doing with these people. But I started recruiting a lot of hedge fund and portfolio managers and I was doing the exact same thing. And I was putting the EEG cap on them. I was picking up on areas of dysfunction and I was just making them better. And this was in 2018, 2019. And then they would call me up and they're like, Louise, I made a trade today and it's changed my life. So that's Mm -hmm. how I started.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give us an example? A little more detail on on what do you look for in the EEG test, and what types of uh, dysfunction or abnormalities you might have seen in uh, some of the traders or athletes? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I think you could agree that, especially in New York City, you know, you look at some of the guys on Wall Street. What are they doing? This is what I've found, and I hope maybe it's different for some people listening, but. You know, they're going to work, they're getting there at 8 a.m. They're on the clock. You know, I've got some traders who are, they're basically on a leaderboard, right? So at their work, they've got this, you know, they've got their screen and they've got a leaderboard of all of the traders on that floor and they're chasing each other all day. So they're just they're burning their brain, they're just burning all of their energy. And then when the clock strikes 4 p.m., they leave and then they're immediately at the pub drinking because of the amount of stress that they're incurring. So your brain is either in two modes it is in survival mode or it's in thrive mode it's it's either one or the other that's how the human brain works and evolutionarily your brain isn't designed to survive past the age of reproduction so evolutionarily we would be you know we pretty much were dying at around 40 45 because your brain is like i don't need to survive anymore so now we know that we can survive to 80, 90, 100, 120. So with that comes a lot of stress for the brain. So your brain is constantly trying to survive. And then when you load it with sleep deprivation, when you load it with alcohol, when you load it with poor food, well, what happens is it starts to deteriorate. And so that's what I was seeing on these brain scans. So This brain scan that we do, it's a 30-minute test. We have you for half of the time, your eyes are open. So it scans your brain while your eyes are open. Then it scans your brain when your eyes are closed. And basically, we also get you to perform a reaction test and a memory test. So your brain has four lobes and the frontal lobe, which it's right behind the forehead. So if you put your palm up to your forehead, it's about as big as your palm. And that area there is what I'm really looking at because that area of your brain, it's not just the biggest and most prominent, it's the part of the brain that houses all of your cognitive functions. So you think about your thinking, your decision-making, your processing speed. They all live right there in the frontal lobe. And if you are chronically sleep-deprived, if you are dehydrated, If you are having bad food, if your blood work is all over the place, if you've got high cholesterol, it affects that area of the brain. And just like in finance, these bad or poor lifestyle decisions that you make daily, they compound. So when one of my, um, I had one portfolio manager that I always speak about, he came to see me, he was 49 years old. And when we do one of these scans, it gives you a report. And in that report, it says, this man is around 60 years old and, you know, it tells you your age based on a normative database. So I had this 49-year-old and he had, I think he had around uh, $5 billion um, under assets, uh, asset management and he was just burning himself to the ground. He had two kids. He was eating poorly. He was drinking because he couldn't handle himself. He was stressed. And this was compounding every year. And he had been, I think he was in the game from the age of 25. So he was 49 and his brain looked 69 on the scan. So that's the sort of things that we can find out.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, some traders might argue that, uh, you know, some sacrifices in in health and other areas uh, is normal. And they expect that because to, you know, be successful, they got to devote all their time and energy toward trading. and uh, And, you know, once they get, successful, then later on they can get back to a healthy uh, diet and uh, healthy habits. Um, How would you respond to that?
2: Yeah, I see that, right? It's like that adrenaline. You know how some people say, well, Louisa, I mean, I feel fine after five hours of sleep when we now have clinical data to show that five hours is detrimental to your brain. You're basically running on adrenaline Right. You it's it's good. It can maybe it can last for six months if these traders are acting this way. They've got to put in the hard work. And while that is true, you always have to think about what does this mean to me in 10 years? What does this mean to me in 20 years? Because I have to tell you right now that currently worldwide, we have an epidemic of Alzheimer's disease. We have 50 million people worldwide currently that have Alzheimer's disease, and that number is said to triple by the year 2050. Now, Alzheimer's disease isn't a timestamp. It's not just a one-time you know, insult that occurs at the age of 75 or 80. You don't just go to the doctor and he says, well, yeah, you've got Alzheimer's disease. It actually starts in your 30s. So that's what I have to say to the people who say to me, but Louisa, I need to I need to be sleep deprived. I need to be working this hard. I need to be having this so I can make the money. It's like, well, okay, but what are you going to do when you're 60, 65, 70, and you start to lose your memory? That's the first thing that goes. Uh, What are you going to do when you are angry or you have a short fuse or you just can't manage stress or your your lipids um, are just out of control? What are you going to do then? That's what Mm -hmm. I have to say.
0: Right. Well, um, speaking of sleep, uh, sleep is one of the areas that you emphasize uh, um, quite a lot. And uh, and I believe I've heard you say in, in a previous interview uh, about preparing for sleep from the moment you wake up. Um, could you go into that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Look, sleep is the most underrated high-performance tool that we have. If you are not looking after your sleep, If you are not, I say training for sleep, then you're doing yourself a disservice and you're preparing for sleep the moment that you wake up because we have this natural 24 hour clock, the circadian rhythm that occurs. So inevitably our brain knows that when the sun comes up, we are meant to be awake. And when the sun goes down, we're meant to go to sleep. And a really amazing thing happens when the sun goes down. Basically, your brain starts to prime itself for sleep. It starts to say, well, it's getting dark, so I'm going to release a little bit of melatonin. And melatonin, which many people have heard of, it's a naturally occurring hormone and it gets released in response to darkness. So when this happens, it it basically prepares our brain for sleep so then we can get into sleep. Now, the ideal time of going to sleep is around 10 p.m. and then sleeping if you can straight through until 6 a.m. that's like the golden hours i believe and that's because sleeping 8 hours at 10 p.m. till 6 a.m. is completely different than sleeping 8 hours at like let's say 1 a.m. till 9 a.m. your brain just doesn't get the nourishment that it needs during those hours so in order to fall asleep at 10 p.m or even 9.30 p.m., you have to be preparing yourself the morning before because if you sleep until 9 a.m. in the morning, which many people listening to this probably don't, but let's say you do maybe on a weekend, it messes up that circadian rhythm, right? You You might not feel tired until midnight the following night. So it's really important that you prepare for sleep first thing in the morning. And you know that involves knowing when your last meal is. That involves withholding from coffee at two or three p.m. That involves withstanding from alcohol at night because alcohol is really detrimental to your sleep. It actually doesn't allow you to get into sleep. It sedates you. It stops you from going into sleep. So these factors are really important. Even exercise. You know, a lot of my clients, I'm begging them, you know, begging them to exercise in the mornings and they really like to exercise at night. And, you know, we've seen that that can somewhat be detrimental to your uh, sleep as well, because it keeps you awake. You know, you secrete a lot of cortisol when you exercise, it stresses you out, which it should be. It makes you excited and keeps you awake. So if you're doing that at night, it's going to stop you from falling asleep.
1: And split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com chat to learn more.
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? you've mentioned in the past uh, about the importance of getting sunlight. Uh, So uh, for traders who live in cloudy areas uh, like here in Seattle, we have a lot of clouds during the winter time and often many days can go by without ever seeing the sun. Uh, Are you familiar with uh, red light therapy and its potential benefits?
2: Well, yes, I am. Um, And I feel for these people who don't get a lot of sunlight. Look, I'm no stranger to that. I live in New York City and I suffer, I say, because sunlight is rare. Um, It only really occurs three, I I say, three months out of the year. Now, red light is different. So let's, let's just look at light. Okay. So sunlight is very good for waking up your brain. And that's because when you're When you go out and you see sunlight for the first time in the morning, that basically tells your brain that you're awake. And if you are lacking that sunlight, one of the best things that you can be doing is you can get this light box. I got it off Amazon. I think it was around $24. And it actually mimics the type of light that you see in the sun. It's a 10,000 lux light box. And lux is just a measurement, a wavelength of, of sunlight. And so what I do is I get this light box, especially in winter in New York, and I put it on and that's what activates my circadian rhythm. So you need the activation of your circadian rhythm through sunlight. And sadly, what many people are doing is they're leaving their apartment or their house and they're not getting any sunlight and then they're going straight to the office. So they're basically relying on whatever artificial light is around them to wake them up, or they're relying on stress to wake them up. And it turns out, and I always, you know, people always message me and get mad at this statement, but it turns out that you really need, our brains really need at least three hours a day of sunlight, which is really hard to get.
0: Mm -hmm. So you find uh, this type of light box is a, a decent substitute for when no sunlight is available.
2: Yeah, that's correct. And you you mentioned red light and that's a completely different light. You know, red light is actually great for calming down your nervous system. And we're just in the early stages now of looking at studies of repairing the brain and and repairing the body of pain um, and strokes using red light therapy. That's why when you go into an infrared sauna, you'll see that it's covered in red lights because it's very calming. So, red light is not the same light as I'm talking about when I talk about getting 10,000 lux of natural sunlight.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Um, you've mentioned in uh previously about uh the importance of sleep hygiene. Uh what is that?
2: Yeah. So, sleep hygiene. So, let's let's talk about sleep because I I real I truly believe that anybody listening to this can dramatically improve their trading performance and improve every aspect of their life if they're just sleeping well. So let's talk about like some sleep hygiene um, facts. And I'm also going to talk, I'm just going to take you through what sleep is. So we cycle through four stages of sleep. So stage one is when we're falling asleep. Stage two is when we're in light sleep. Stage three is deep sleep. So this is the stage that is really important because stage three deep sleep means that we are getting hormone secretion. So this is when all of your testosterone and estrogen for, for the ladies listening is released. This is where we get the growth and repair of muscle tissue because we have the release of growth growth hormone. But another amazing thing happens we also have this clearing system that happens in our brain. It's it's called the glymphatic system. So when we go into deep sleep, your brain essentially washes itself. So during the day, you build up toxins and everyone does, you know, through stress, through environmental factors, we build up these toxins in our brain. And during sleep, it's like very in tune with mother nature. During deep sleep, your brain washes itself. So all of the fluid, cerebral spinal fluid, gets washed through your brain like a washing machine or a sewage system, and it clears out all of the debris. So if you're not sleeping and you're not getting into deep sleep, you're not clearing out these proteins. So that's, that's deep sleep. Then we move into REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And this is stage four sleep. And this is the stage where you get all of your memory consolidation. And it's also emotional first aid. So actually, I've got a question for you, Ian. Do you -hmm. ever see traders who've got a short fuse and they're angry sometimes?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, that's the uh, stereotype of the trader who breaks his uh, computer keyboard
2: uh, while trading. Yeah. And it's not just on the movies because it actually happens. And when you're a bit angry, when you show this type of emotion, it in a bad way. Cause like you can have like a fired up emotion, which can serve you well, but when you're really angry, it interferes with so many different aspects of your trading in terms of performance, in terms of how well you're speaking, communicating to your colleagues and uh, ultimately the decision to trade or, or, or hold. So REM sleep is emotional first aid. You are more, if you've got no, if you're having really bad REM sleep, you're definitely not going to be managing your emotions well the next day. So we're cycling through these four stages of sleep throughout the night. But sadly, if we have alcohol, for example, alcohol completely plummets your REM sleep. So just because you're quote unquote asleep, you're not actually reaching deep sleep or REM sleep. So you could just be cold, out cold, sedated for the night without getting into these deep sleep stages. So. Some good common practices for sleep hygiene include eliminating alcohol. It includes sleeping in a pitch black room. So having any type of light that comes into the room can disrupt your sleep. So making sure that you're sleeping in a pitch black room, a cool room. So we know that in order to fall asleep and stay asleep, our core body temperature needs to drop at least two degrees. So making sure that you're not really hot. You know, right now in it's, um, it's March 17th in Australia and it's really hot. It's actually, I mean, Fahrenheit wise, I think it hit um, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe 104 if I've got that correct. And it's really hot at night. So I sleep with the air conditioner on. I also sleep on a temperature controlled mattress. So making sure that you're uh, not warm at night can help you with sleep. And then there's other things like, Practicing calming techniques so you calm down your mind before you fall asleep. And this is all to ensure that you are getting into the deep sleep and getting into REM sleep. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, I have a wearable on my, uh, I have a type of watch that uh, measures my sleep. And I've noticed that sometimes it will tell me the next morning that I actually got too much REM sleep. Is there such a thing as too much REM or even too much sleep in general?
2: So, yes and no. Um, so, getting too much sleep there is—it's—it's it's very hard to do because first of all, let's look at the opposite of that. Um, your sleep isn't like debt that you can repay at the bank. So, if you sleep five hours a night during the week and think that you can just make up for it on the weekend, you can't. If you've lost one, if you had one night of bad sleep, that's it. You've had a night of bad sleep. You can't make up for it. Now inversely if you're having too much sleep each night you know you may feel lethargic but it's not as bad as getting you know not enough sleep but can i ask what type of wearable do you have
0: um i have the garmin phoenix uh, i think g7 yeah. uh watch it's a so, watch
2: yeah i i have a garmin too so i have an aura ring um which is mm-hmm. the most um it, which is probably the best one to be tracking your sleep, I also mm-hmm. have a Garmin. I don't use it for sleep; I use it for training. So, one thing to remember about these wearables are they're not—they're never going to mimic a sleep study. You know, when you go and have a sleep study, you're hooked up to many leads, ECG leads. You've got EEG leads. You've got uh, leads on your eyes to really pick up on uh, sleep patterns. So, you're generally thinking, okay, well. You may be looking at around an 85% accuracy with these wearables, but with yours, I have to say that you're probably looking maybe at like a 60, not even a a 60% accuracy. So I would rather put you on a a, a better performing wearable to check that, but what's the, Mm -hmm. what what REM sleep are you getting?
0: Uh. Well, I don't know. I mean, it varies each night, and I, I admit that the accuracy does seem to vary quite a bit because sometimes it will say that my sleep uh, was poor, even though I had eight hours of sleep and I felt I feel pretty good. So uh, how I feel doesn't jive very well with what the watch actually reports. So I'm a little confused on how it collects the data and, you know what what devices are accurate that are um that the typical consumer can buy and use themselves.
2: Yeah. And um, so what you generally, if, uh, if people are wearing maybe a whoop strap or an Oura ring, you generally want to look for having a REM sleep score of 20% of your total sleep time. And more often than not, people just need to increase their total sleep time. You know, that means that even if you increase your sleep from seven hours to eight hours, that's probably going to increase the amount of time spent in deep sleep and in REM sleep. And then REM should be, uh, your deep sleep should be um, much higher than your REM sleep as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, What are your thoughts about other aids, sleep aids? Um, For example, before bed I use blue light blocking glasses, which um, I have found to be effective myself in helping to create a, a sleepy state while I'm looking at the computer screen. Uh, Also other uh, ones, uh, PEMF devices, which are Mm -hmm. uh, called pulsed electromagnetic field uh, devices and CBD. Any of those um, have you used or any opinions on on that?
2: Yeah, I've got an opinion on the blue light blocking glasses because I actually wear them as well. (laughs) However, sometimes it may just be a placebo because... You're, so when you're awake all day, your light, your eyes get weaker, okay? So they've been open all day. They're getting so many different um, aspects of light, all different rays, and you're seeing so many different things. So at night, they're more susceptible to light. So whether you're wearing blue light blocking glasses or not, you're still telling your brain that you're awake because you your brain stays awake. And is told that we're awake through light that comes into the eyes because your eyes are connected to your brain through an optic through the optic nerve. So, no matter how much you shield them with the blue light blocking glasses, there is still light that is seeping in. So, but then there's also that placebo effect. So it may help you in a small way. So if it works for you, then then definitely. Um, but the CBD oil, you know. Many people have different things. So I use, um, I supplement with GABA, gamma amino butyric acid. It's our, our chief inhibitory neurotransmitter, meaning that we have different chemicals, the neurotransmitters that get circulated through the brain and so they're responsible for keeping us alert, awake, happy, sad. And this, this neurotransmitter, GABA, it's involved in calming us down because it inhibits it it stops synapses which are the two brain cells are that you know form a chemical message so it stops them and, and basically it calms you down throughout the night so i have that before i go to sleep but many people use cbd if that makes you feel good if that calms you down then that is great you know we we actually don't speak about the placebo effect enough so whether that calms you down or whether it's a you know really happening or whether it's placebo then i say keep doing it
0: mm-hmm. um what about uh when should we finish our last meal of the day uh and how many hours should we allow uh from the last meal to when we go to sleep
2: yeah so we have so it takes your body an hour and a half 90 minutes for per- peristalsis to finish that's like when you're Body digests itself, so when you digest all of the food that occurs, and the general rule is you want to have a two-hour window from the moment that you stop eating to the moment that you fall asleep. You never want to fall asleep on a on a full stomach, a. But you also want to digest the food before you go into sleep. So you want if you want to be in bed by and asleep by 10 p.m. I would say have your last meal. By 8 p.m. And that doesn't include any supplementation. Supplementation should occur 20 minutes before you want to go to sleep. So, having your last meal at that time would most likely be best. And then it's also, uh, you know, it's also what are you doing? You mentioned, Ian, that you're on a computer at night. That's probably not the best thing for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But many people are, you know, many people are. I've got a lot of clients who, oh, I've got this one, uh, you know, he's amazing, um, he travels a lot. Uh he's a portfolio manager and investor. He travels from Miami to New York quite regularly. And he, when we go through his day, he's like, you know, I've, um, you know, I, I stop the clock at 4 p.m. And, you know, I go home to my wife and my kids and then I put the kids to sleep and then I'm back on my computer until midnight and I'm like, wait, what? And I'm trying to get him to stop that. But it's very hard, I understand, for some people. But it's really, it's probably not serving you in any way. A, it's keeping you up. B, you're looking at light. And C, you're just not giving your brain the time to get into sleep and repair itself.
0: Mm -hmm. I've read that uh, the brain loves habits. So uh, I've heard that it is... um... A good idea to go to bed at the same time every day. And like you said earlier, um, you know, prepare for sleep from the moment you wake up. Uh, And one way to do that uh, perhaps is to establish habits. Um, From my understanding, uh, habits are a way for the brain to um, simplify things and where it doesn't have to use as much energy thinking about it because it's kind of automatic. Do you have viewpoints about that?
2: Yeah, your brain does love habits. You know, if it had it, if your brain was ruling everything, it would wake up at the same time every day, have the exact same meal every day, and go to sleep at the same time every day. And that, again, is purely because of the circadian rhythm. So the more habits that you can instill in your brain and the more consistency, I should say, the better your brain will perform. Now, we're not robots, right? So if you had to have any aspect of your life that was consistent, I would say sleep would be the number one thing. Making sure that you're waking up and going to sleep every night should be the most consistent thing. But then, in terms of habits, your brain is very malleable. You know, we call it plastic for a reason, because something that is really profound to us humans is our ability to introduce or induce uh, neuroplasticity which is basically how your brain forms habits. You know, um, it, it basically says when one neuron fires, the other one fires. So meaning that the more times, imagine, let's just imagine your brain as all of these interconnected highways. You know, there's a, a really great analogy. I think it's of the these highways in Dubai. They take a, a helicopter view of these highways and you just see them and they just look amazing. They're going in all different directions. So let's just imagine you've got millions of highways in your brain. And the more times that you travel down this highway, that highway gets thicker and it gets stronger. And so every time you travel down it, it just gets easier and easier and easier. And you're just gliding down it. That's pretty much what neuroplasticity is. So the more times that you do the same thing over and over again, whether it's something bad or whether it's something good, it turns into a habit. And this is why, you know, this is why things such as you know bad habits occur because it's just a natural thing. You know, um, a bad habit may be like you know biting your nails. The more times you do it, the the more times you're going to create that habit. And that's why habits are hard to stop. But if you can, if you can write down some of the habits that you want to instill in yourself. It may be, I want to get up every morning and work out. It may just be suffering for the first two weeks and making sure that you get up at 5.30 a.m. or 6.00 a.m. every morning and then just keep doing that habit. It gets easier and easier because your your brain just becomes natural at doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. I'd like to uh, transition to the next uh, very important area for people to focus on, and, which is Exercise uh do you know of the, say the different types of exercise and its impact like how um how does weight lifting compare to say cardio walking yoga um how do those different types of exercise uh impact us
2: yeah exercise is uh, one of the the pillars of um of human performance especially at neuroathletics if You want a well-performing brain, you should be exercising. And that's because first and foremost, your brain is very vascular rich. It's filled with blood vessels and capillaries and veins and arteries. And this is what delivers through blood. This is what delivers oxygen and nutrients to your brain. The one thing that you need to survive, oxygen and nutrients. So when you're exercising, whether it's aerobic activity, physical activity, or whether it's strength training, you're getting more blood flow to your brain. And we know that we should be doing at minimum 20 minutes of exercise per day. And that allows for good blood flow to the brain. Um, What happens is over time, your brain begins to atrophy. At the age of 30, your brain begins to deteriorate. and one of the first things that goes is this area in the brain called the hippocampus and this is you know used for memory formation and consolidation it's like a seahorse shaped structure deep within the temporal lobes of your brain that tends to go first you know we we forget we start to forget things especially short term memory one of the best ways of preserving your hippocampal volume and the amount of cells within the hippocampus is actually through exercise so When you do any form of exercise, let's just say we're going out, we're going to go for a run, or you're you're getting your heart beating at around 65 to 70% of your maximum heart rate, you're releasing a lot of hormones. And one of the hormones that you release is a growth factor for the brain. It's called brain-derived neurotropic factor. And what that does is when it goes into the brain, it actually goes into the hippocampus and it helps with the proliferation of new cells neurons within the hippocampus so through exercise you're preserving the hippocampal volume so you're you're getting that from it so you're helping with your memory but you're also helping with the way that your brain is structured so likewise when we do um, when we do weight training for example we actually release many more hormones than what we do when we are doing aerobic exercise, and that's actually my area of research. I, I research the effects of um, the effects of resistance training on the brain, and I've got to tell you, Ian, it's absolutely monumental. You know, I look at MRI scans of people who are, you know, not exercising compared to people who are who are exercising, and the difference between these two people especially strength training, is the thickness of their brain. So you've got gray matter, which is the outer layer of your brain, then you've got white matter, and that's the inside of your brain. And both areas are just exponentially better in the people who are doing any form with resist, any form of resistance training. So I just want to make sure that weight training and resistance training, I want everyone to know that they're pretty much the same thing. They are the same thing. So any form of resistance that you incur on your skeletal muscle. So weight training is extremely imperative. It doesn't just help you with the way your brain is structured and the way it functions. It actually helps you throughout the lifespan because one of the worst things that can increase your mortality at the age of, let's say around 80, is if you fall and break a hip. Did you know that?
0: Hmm. Well, interesting. Yeah,
2: yeah. And so, one of the best ways to preserve that is through weight training because you obviously strengthen your leg muscles and and your hip muscles.
0: Hmm. So, would you say for people who are uh, severely time constrained, does weight training offer the best bang for the buck of the different types of exercise?
2: Ah. Uh, so I, you know, if I was purely a neurophysiologist, uh, I would say. Just do the weight training, but then there's an aspect of cardiac remodeling that needs to be addressed. And I know I'm. Go- I feel like I don't want people to just stop listening to this because I'm going too sciencey. But you should listen because we all have a heart and we all have a brain. your Your heart it should be strong. You know, it's like it's a muscle, just like your body. your 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 heart also needs to be worked out. So every time you work it out through aerobic training, we, we train the muscles and the ventricles of our heart, so it can be stronger. So the big, you know, there's just, I can't answer that question and say, which is better in terms of bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I, I'm going to have to, you know, just be the villain here and say, you need to be doing both.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Do you place much credence in some of the wearables and their ability to measure what's called heart rate variability?
2: Oh, yes. Heart rate variability is amazing. You know, it's a a measure of your recovery. You know, it's funny that you say that because my heart rate variability lately is plummeting. And I think it's because of the amount of traveling I'm doing. Um, So, Heart rate variability is amazing. For me, I'm able to track my clients on the back end and I check their heart rate variability and I'm like, hey, listen, why is your HRV lower than what it was two weeks ago or a week ago? So I'm able to assess what these people are not doing right. And stress is really, really important for increasing or decreasing your heart rate variability. So you always want to be trying your very best to increase your heart rate variability. And I think when it comes to wearables, it's probably the best, most accurate thing that you can get from one of these things.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So you would recommend um, minimum of
2: 20 minutes a day.
0: Is that correct of exercise and and how often, like how many days per week? Or, and can we we, uh, do a lot of exercise, say on just one or two days a week, uh, instead of spreading it out?
2: No, so what you want to do is you want to aim for at least three days a week of weight training. So three days a week of performing, you know, weights. And I would for the people who are like, I don't have that much time, just aim for compound movements, not the little accessory muscles. Like don't just do, you know, deltoids, just do your entire body. Try at lifting weights at around 70% of your one repetition max. So If you've ever, you know, if you've done weight training and you've ever had a trainer, maybe the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to test what your one RM is. So that's the biggest amount of of weight that you can do with one rep. So let's just say that your one RM for a squat is hundred kilos. Then when you go and do weights and you're doing squats, you want to make sure that you're doing 70 kilos. Oh, and you're doing it for around six reps. So that's the general rule. So weight training three days a week and then 20 minutes of cardio in the de- every other day.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we go to the gym, we first test out what's the maximum we can do one time And then we um, take 70% of that and have that as our aim to do repetitively uh, throughout the days and weeks. Is that correct? Until we get stronger and then maybe we increase that over time.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And please make sure you're warming up before you do that one RM or make sure you're doing it with a qualified professional Mm -hmm. so you don't hurt yourself.
1: Excuse the last interruption here. This is Tessa. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you love the podcast, please give Chat with Traders the best review you can on whatever platform you're listening from. This will help us to keep the episodes coming. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our email list, please hop on to chatwithtraders.com and click on subscribe so we can keep you posted of information that may be of importance. Thank you. Now back to the chat with our guest.
0: Right. Great. I'd like to uh, jump into diet and its effects. Um, so what is, um, how does diet affect, uh, brain performance and, uh, should we start the day with water or coffee?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, you can start the day with honestly, whatever you like, if it's water, if it's coffee, then that's fine. I don't have a, you know, there's no real clinical evidence to show that if you have coffee first thing in the morning, it's going to hurt you in any way. The only thing you just need to make sure you don't have any coffee, After 2 or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. But when it comes to, um, you know, the most controversial topic ever in science is nutrition, right? There's always going to be the people who say that you've got to have the carnivore diet or the plant based diet. Um, But when it comes to a well performing brain, what we know is that lots of vegetables and fiber and fruits and fish is fantastic for the brain. I have everything. I have fruits, vegetables, uh, red meat, white meat, and and fish. So I I have everything. And one of the best known diets for the brain is actually the MIND diet. So Mediterranean Intervention DASH diet. So this involves having around 70% of your diet that is made from fruits and vegetables, and then having a little bit of fish and a little bit of red meat and of course legumes as well. So instead of talking about, you know, what's the best diet, let's talk about two nutrients or two supplements that I think that we should all be having. The number one supplement that I think everybody should be having is creatine. And You probably have heard of creatine because it's the most widely studied supplement on the market. It's also the cheapest and it's also the safest. And we used to think of creatine as something that was just good for the body, but we now have evidence to show that creatine is not just good for the body, but it's also good for the brain. It's also imperative for the brain. So we we all have creatine stores naturally occurring in our body and brain already, but they deteriorate. And creatine is involved in cell energy metabolism. So it helps with giving you more energy and producing more energy. And so if you can supplement with creatine, five grams a day, you will see a massive difference in your performance. In fact, I even get my father, he's 71. Uh, He had a stroke two years ago. So I have him supplementing with creatine as well. So creatine is amazing. Um, And then the second thing on that is omega-3 fatty acids, which come from fatty fish. So specifically, when you look at these omega-3 fatty acids, they're broken into three parts, EPA, DHA, and ALA. It turns out that EPA and DHA, they are really important for the brain, especially DHA, because they go into the brain and they can actually help you with cell membrane fluidity. So it penetrates the cell of the uh, the brain cells and it helps them become more fluid. It also helps with regeneration and repair. And it also helps with ameliorating some of the uh, bad toxins that build up during the day.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So speaking of supplements are there ways to enhance absorption and uh, are there any best times to take it? Cause I've, I've heard that some people say that uh, much of the supplements that people take, you know, end up getting, you know, uh, uh, discharged when you go to the bathroom and, and a lot of them don't get absorbed. So what are the key issues to search for uh, in supplements and, and uh, which ones to take?
2: You're never going to get 100% bioavailability because you just never, not from anything because we are humans. That's just the way we operate. So in terms of absorption, look, I mean, this is, it's so interesting because this is how marketing companies are marketing IV fluids to people, which is just, there is no real um, scientific efficacy of having an IV Full of like vitamins and minerals as opposed to just, you know, getting them through a diet. So I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't worry about, oh, am I just creating expensive urine? I would worry about quality and safety of supplements. So because supplements are not regulated by the FDA, they are very, it's an unregulated industry. And this means that companies can just go and put whatever they want in a supplement. And call it a supplement. So this is why i I'm actually an advisor for momentous supplements, and I am because they are a company that are triple certified. So you know that the safety and quality of their supplements are very, very good as opposed to getting a supplement on the internet from a brand that you don't know because it could contain probably, Things, you know, rancid things that you don't want it to contain. So I think you should stick to quality of brand over thinking, am I absorbing these supplements?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned omega 3 uh, oils or fatty acids. Um, commonly found in so many foods today uh, are omega 6s, uh, which is commonly yeah. found in vegetable oils. Now, I've heard that vegetable oils are <laughs> the new smoking. Uh, do you have yeah. any viewpoints on vegetable oils and, and, uh, uh, cause they seem to be found in just about everything.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, you look at anything that is packaged and it will most definitely have canola oil in it. There is a huge uproar of, uh, people on social media talking about rancid seed oils. Seed oils are bad. Seed oils are going to kill you. Seed oils lead to atherosclerosis, but when you actually look at the uh, the uh, the cardio or the cardiology research it actually doesn't say that at all it says that seed oils can be cardioprotective now that doesn't mean you should be going and drinking a bottle of canola oil it is not as good as olive oil you know olive oil is incredible for you but it's not as bad as what social media is portraying with anything, right? I think it's just more of a marketing thing. But what that means is what we know just don't fill your diet with crap, you know, packaged things. Fill it with fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, and meat. And if you do happen to have, you know, seed oils, which is inevitable because We're all humans. We go out and eat. When you go and eat out, you're generally having seed oils. I don't think that people, you know, at restaurants really care to cook in olive oil, right, because it's more (laughs) expensive. So you're getting it there. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you should not go out at all. Uh, You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's just not, uh, you know, I've got this, there's just so many people spreading nonsense on social media these days. And it's a fear tactic. You know, people, they're just trying to scare people.
0: Yes. Um, so when, uh, people cook at home, uh, is there any science to, um, avoiding turning up the heat too much, uh, when cooking things with oil, does heat, uh, destroy the, the structure of the oil and, uh, make it worse off for one's health?
2: Yeah, it does. And this is why instead of cooking, you know, if I'm going to cook something really hot, um, I will have, I will use ghee because it's, um, it's much more better when it's oxidized at that, you know, it doesn't get oxidized like olive oil does. So I will generally, you know, if I want to have a really, really hot dish, I'll use ghee or um, something like that. And I will use olive oil for something that, you know, doesn't need to be cooked at that, that level. Again, I think we're getting too much in the weeds of, you know, what is bad for us instead of thinking, well, what am I not including in my diet? You know, many people listening probably aren't even having the um, the the micronutrients. We're having the macronutrients, you know, which are the the fats, the proteins, and um, the carbohydrates. But what about the micronutrients? Are you having enough green, leafy vegetables? Are you having enough antioxidants from berries and from fruits? That's what you should be thinking of
0: hmm So uh, you're saying that you prefer to focus in on, on the healthy foods uh, more than focusing in on trying to avoid every bad thing that one can find.
2: Absolutely. And then also on that, one of the questions I get asked often is, is sugar going to kill you? Look, we all know that sugar isn't the best thing for you, especially refined sugar. Okay, because we, we've got you know different types of sugar, but the refined sugars that you see in candy and in chocolate, no, they're they're not there is there is they're not good for your brain. You know, just like I say that no amount of alcohol is good for your brain. You know, sugar, refined sugar can also increase uh, inflammatory biomarkers in your brain. So when you get stressed, you release these um, inflammatory molecules and. That's not good, through you know. That's not good for you, especially at a chronic state. So, staying away from you know really refined sugars is much better for you as well. And I don't know if you're keeping up with the obesity research right now. It's a huge topic because of Ozempic, um, which is the obesity drug that's now approved. And I feel like almost everybody's having a, you know Ozempic. I do believe that there is a very strong correlation. Between the rates of obesity across America and our diets. So, m- almost everything that you see now in a packaged, in a packaged good is filled with sugar. And that's, you know, that's just becoming, you know, you just have to become aware with the fact that if you do have a candy bar, it's filled with refined sugar. So, that's what we need to be aware of.
1: Mm hmm. Uh-
0: have you ever used uh, continuous glucose monitors? Uh, these monitors that attach to the side of your of your arm and it measures um, live, like the effect yeah. of every food that you intake and exercise mm-hmm. on your glucose levels.
2: I have. Uh, it was quite interesting. I wore one for like you know three months. Um, I'm not a diabetic, you know. You these you would only use you know used to only wear these for um, diabetes purposes, but now we know that we can optimize our glucose levels with wearing one of these things. And so what was interesting for me is you find out how different foods affect you. So something that affects me and, and drives my glucose up and a huge spike are grapes. Isn't that Mm. interesting? Red grapes, uh, green grapes I would get and my heart would go ballistic and my, um, my glucose would just shoot through the roof, so I learned that about myself, and so I don't wear one now because I think I've learned what my body entails. But I think it's a really, a real great thing for anybody who wants to optimize their glucose and their and their diet.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned something personal, like. Uh- how these grapes would personally affect you. Uh, how important do you, uh, think it is for one to get tested individually tested as a, uh, instead of just saying, well, I've heard the ketogenic diet is good, or I've heard the paleo diet is good. So I just think I'll adopt that diet without, uh, knowing, um, their specific situation.
2: Well, I think the best thing that you can do is before you include anything in your diet, actually get a blood test. So there's some really great, you know, that's what we do with every one of our clients that comes on board. Um, we make them have a blood test and we can actually test what are you deficient in and, and what aren't you, and then we can optimize from there.
0: Mm-hmm. So in summary, by making changes in these three areas, uh, sleep, exercise, and um, diet, Can we get a better sense of well-being?
2: Yes, you 100% can. Because when you think about well-being, I often refer to it as your three pillars, sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So if you can get any type of lab test for these three things, you can obviously optimize your well-being from it.
0: Mm -hmm. So wrapping up, Do you find it challenging uh, doing traveling? Are you traveling right now between Sydney and the the States?
2: Uh, Do I find it, you know, I travel for work. I travel throughout America. Yes. Um, Thankfully, I treat the plane like my office. So when I get on, I have Wi-Fi and, you know, I'm able to do a lot of work. Unfortunately, I don't sleep on planes and that's the number one thing that gets to me. So that's the only thing about traveling. That I don't like.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what subject areas are do you currently spend the most time studying?
2: So I am currently researching the effects of resistance training on the brain. So I spend most of my time researching that area, and then i um, I have twenty to 25 one-on-one clients that span from professional athletes to day traders and portfolio managers. So I'm generally just constantly looking over their, um, over their blood work, over their scans, and just consulting with them on a daily basis.
0: Do your clients find it uh, difficult to maintain, you know, these habits? I mean, do you have strategies for them to be able to carry Mm -hmm. this forward going, you know, months and years uh, afterwards?
2: Yeah, look, they're no, look, nobody is a. Um, every time a client comes to me, they're really coming for around three to four months, and then I let, I let them go and run free in the wild. And we generally get everything sorted within those four months so they can go out and instill those behaviors. And I still get, you know, testimonials from clients that come back six, seven months later, they're like, Louise, I now. Am just realizing how important it is to do the protocol that you put in place for me for sleep. You know, I hear about it like six, seven, eight eight months later.
0: I found this uh, interesting quote by James Clear, uh, who Mm -hmm. who writes the book Atomic Habits. And the quote is, focus starts with elimination, improves with concentration, and Mm -hmm. compounds with continuation.
2: Oh, yeah. That's incredible i yeah. have to write that one down.
0: <laughs> well, Louisa, uh, thank you for coming on uh, Chat with Traders.
2: Ian, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast.
0: Yeah. Uh, how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you?
2: Uh, so you can head on over to my website, which is neuroathletics, N-E-U-R-O, athletics, all one word, .com, .au. And there's so many things on there. If you want to speak to somebody on my team, you can. If you want to fill out a form. You can, maybe we can work together. Or if you just want to listen to my voice, this amazing Australian voice, you can listen to our podcast, The Neuro (laughs) Experience.
0: (laughs) Okay, great, fantastic. Well, thanks, Louisa. Thank you. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon.